1: In the spirit of ANU's motto, which is first to know the nature of things, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and waterways which were never ceded. We pay our respects to their Elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening
2: today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia?
3: Please explain
0: to make a
1: public statement. Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr. I am a fighter and not a fighter. I don't think I know. And I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Hi there. Some six weeks ago, Australian voters opted to reject the voice to parliament referendum proposal that would have created a mechanism for both recognising and listening to the country's first inhabitants. We know the margin. It wasn't even close. Referendums require a double majority to pass. At least four of the six states have to vote yes, and there needs also to be a majority voting yes across the nation as a whole. The Albanese Labor government went into the referendum full of confidence that Australia would embrace the proposal, yet they did not. Indeed, six out of ten rejected it across the nation, and not one state returned a yes vote. So what happened to the early support and why? Fortunately, we are now much closer to knowing the answer thanks to the regular ANU poll and the work led by ANU's Centre for Social Research and Methods and the School of Politics and International Relations, from which my co-host Maria Taflaga comes. Hi there, Maria.
3: Hi, Mark. How are you?
1: I am very well. I, of course, am Mark Kenny, And with me today, all of this out, is a couple of uh, excellent guests uh, who can uh, explain and uh, probe the data that's come out just today, really. So you're hearing it first on Democracy Sausage, certainly if you're listening to us at the moment, this pod drops. Professor Nicholas Biddle is Associate Director of the ANU Centre for Social Research and Methods, the aforementioned, and the Head of Methods Survey and Evaluation Programs in the Centre, and he is co-author with Professors Matt Gray, Ian McAllister and Matt Quartrup, all of whom have been on this podcast, of a paper that has a a very self-explanatory title really. It's called Explaining Voting in the 2023 Australian Referendum, and that's out today. Hi there, Nick.
2: Hi, Mark. I'm Welcome Maria.
1: back. It wasn't that long ago we were no, talking. No, uh, it
2: seems like just yesterday <laughs> we were uh, preparing for the votes. That's uh, right. And we now were, we can. Yes, we were talking, of, yeah, talking
1: about yeah. the survey yep. in, that was in the field That's at the right, time, and, true, yes. and, and, yeah, yeah, and the numbers yeah. number crunching yeah. that you would do. Yeah. Also with us is Professor Valerie Coombs. She is a Kwandamuka woman and is the director of the Centre for Aboriginal Economic Policy Research. Welcome, Val. Oh, thank you. So, Nick, let's start with you. Tell us about this paper. It tells us some pretty fascinating things, like the fact that nigh no, on two-thirds of no, no voters said they had done so primarily because it was divisive, mm. something about which I wrote and a number of yep. other people did. It was a kind of a frustrating mm. thing about the campaign. Mm. You know, they they sort of divided the nation and then complained about it being divisive, no, yeah. but it seemed to be... An absolutely critical factor for no voters. I suppose maybe you can start, even before you get to that, with just reminding our listeners what this survey is. Yeah, no, no,
2: I'll I'll start with a bit of background. Um, So... We've been running data collection on people's intended vote on The Voice uh, throughout 2023. Uh, so we ran a survey in January. We did it again in April and again in August. And then leading up to the vote, uh, we prepared as best we could a, um, a survey so it could go into the field essentially the day after the, the referendum vote was, um, the completed, information was, yeah. was completed. Yeah, so on, or uh, well, two days afterwards, so on the, on the Monday, our, our respondents, were invited to participate in a pretty lengthy survey, trying to get both their views on uh, a range of issues as well as why they voted the way they did. Um, We ended up with a little over 4,000 respondents uh, across uh, adult respondents. Some of those weren't eligible to vote. We still asked them a few questions, but for the most part, we had people who, uh, in every state and territory, every age group, uh, range of education, backgrounds, so pretty diverse uh, Geographical and re- spread. Yeah, yeah, geographic spread, capital city, so non-capital a, a city. a good sample. Yeah, mm. so a good sample.
1: Um, and it's a healthy sample too. Like That's a, that's a yeah, pretty good Yeah, so number. it
2: allows us to look at uh, pretty small population groups uh, and really understand uh, you know, why they voted, uh, their views on, on both – political issues, but also views on broad issues related to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And I think that's, as we'll get to, one of the, the key uh, explanations for the vote. But as you said, the uh, one of our questions, in addition to saying, you know, did you vote yes, no, or or, or not at all, uh, we asked people to give their views on on why they voted the way they did, and so those who voted no said uh, the main reason is because they they were uh, worried about division. And as you said, that became kind of self fulfilling. Uh, mm. If someone says this is going to be divisive, people say, "Well, I don't want division." Uh, yeah, so yeah. it's it's a little uh, kind of a of a uh, yeah, as a little self fulfilling. But also, it's interesting that still a pretty high proportion of people who voted no said that they did so because they listen to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and that's uh, and despite the fact that you know the vast majority of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, particularly those who who've been involved in the Uluru Statement and and more broadly in um, kind of issues to do with you kind know, of reconciliation and uh, and broadly on policy, it, the vast majority of our Aboriginal people uh, said uh, you know they're in support of the Voice, mm. and and still uh, a large proportion of no voters said that they did so because of of kind of listening to the Indigenous population. So you kind of get some interesting dynamics uh, and and that so just shows in some
1: ways that there's a lot of misinformation was a factor, right? I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily show it directly, but you can attribute some of those claims and those understandings to prevalent mm. ideas that were circulating in the public space, but which were not borne out, as you say, by either the representation from the Uluru mm. Statement from the heart and all of those consultative yep. mechanisms that informed it, mm. nor by the voting data in yep. some of those seats like Lingiari, where, yeah. where majority polling places of Aboriginal people there was a 60, 70 percent, 75% vote and, for yes.
2: And in, in our data, while we don't have a very large uh indigenous population in our sample, still it 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 shows what every other kind of survey has shown, which is that uh, the indigenous population was strongly in support on average for, for the yes campaign. So it's it kind of it's it, it doesn't mean that they that it's not true that they didn't listen, that they don't genuinely feel that they listened to uh, the indigenous population, but clearly there was a uh, segment of the indigenous population which they were listening to and that kind of fed through into their perceptions.
3: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, ultimately, just sort of like we discussed last time, there's like a degree of noise in these mm-hmm. measures because you didn't have a free text box where yep. people could say, my definition of division is X. You know, yep. it's it's what I heard from Peter Dutton or yep. it's what I heard from the No campaign. And and again, it's, it's potentially easy to infer that people might say they've listened to Indigenous people and really they mean the spokesmen of, of, of the No before. campaign, yes. yeah, yeah, right, yeah. which yeah. were led yeah. by Senator Price and, yep. and Warren Mundine. And I suppose that's actually one of the challenges of interpreting this this data is that even though we have the placeholder division and we don't really know what voters actually mean by division, mm-hmm. but what we certainly do know is what elites said yep. and we certainly know what campaigners said, mm-hmm. division was. And so yep. that's not an it's not an unreasonable inference mm-hmm. to make, but exactly why yep. people might have worried about that, mm-hmm. whether or not it was a deeply held position, yep. whether or not it was pretty superficial and shallow because their party was now voting no. So they were voting no. Mm-hmm. And the main reason was division. They're, they're things we can't really yep. fully know.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's really hard to Kind of separate uh, when people have kind of multiple explanations for why they voted the way they did. Uh, people will, in some way, self-justify um, both yeah. yes and no yeah. uh, campaigners, and will. they'll
1: adopt yeah. the official rationale. Exactly. For yep. example, the official yep. official rationale yep. was that it was divisive. Yep. You know, like if you looked at the no campaign, mm. that became sort of the prime argument for not doing it. Yep. Dutton was hammering that from quite early on, mm. well before the the, the official campaign yeah. period started. So it was almost, you know, sort of baked in mm. before things. Yeah, and, things and people got real. will pick up
2: the cues from the the groups who they associate with, and and mm. in in that might be the the political party which they associate with, and 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 therefore they'll follow those cues, uh, or it might be uh, another group of social group, and 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 will then use that both to help make their decision but also to explain why they made the decision they did.
1: Yeah, so you could, for example, Val, take the view that you don't want to do it because you think Aboriginal people have already had it too easy, they've already got more than, and some of the data in this shows that there are attitudes like that, that uh, Aboriginal people have been given sufficient leg up already and that uh, their disadvantage may be a factor of their own fault or yeah, whatever, but, but people aren't going to say that. They'll come up with a more respectable rationale in some yeah, cases. Yeah, so
4: that they aren't accused of being racist. People mm. will say all sorts of things. And there's been this rhetoric and these explanations ever since I've remember people saying. Um, and when you said about divisive, that's a way of saying, well, I don't want to say that I'm racist and I'll vote no, but I'll say I'll well, just vote no because it's divisive. Yeah, because I'm for well, equality. We are, div- we are divided. Mm. We've been here... 65 to 80,000 years, and other people haven't, so that's a divide for mm. a start. Yeah. Um, and people use other types of English words to soften the blow because people say, I'm not racist, but da-da-da-da-da. Um, mm. You shouldn't have programs. Or we're all the same, we're all Australians. Well, actually, I wasn't an Australian citizen when I was born. My mother wasn't a citizen, so... And when you point things out, well, we're all the same, well we're not. We've been here for a lot longer. Oh well, you know, that was such a long time ago. So there's all this rhetoric, I think. Um, some of it's about people were assimilationist. They thought we should all be mm. the same. Mm. Um, that's lovely,
1: and there was a bit of that actually, sort of creeping into you know the the messaging. I mean, we saw Senator Nampijpa Price at one stage say that colonisation had not been bad for yeah. Aboriginal people, and yeah, but and she
4: yeah, and 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 she is a politician, and um, governments and politics is about you know um, getting re-elected and averting yeah. criticism, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm sure she would romp it in in the next election because of her attitude, and of course she will. Mm. You know, people could argue that colonisation was a great thing. It's a kind of a strange argument to have, really, when you think about it, but that takes you back to what people need to hear, what Australians need to understand, what Australians need to hear, but they don't hear. They don't listen. We Mm. have a word where I come from was your ear is your binung, and when you're deaf it's binangari, which means your ears don't work. But there's also a word called binangunj, where they can hear but they're not listening. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that in Australia mm. because there's things they don't want to hear, like our life expectancy is shorter. All sorts of statistics show, which is why the government's committed to the Closer Gap. Yeah, So um, why would government have to commit to close the gap? Why do Aboriginal children still suffer with rheumatic heart disease when it's virtually eradicated from the non-Indigenous population? And even in the 70s, when I worked in remote areas, we had people Aboriginal people still with Hansen's disease and white people hadn't contracted leprosy or trachoma for many years. So if you talk to an Australian about that, or try to have the art, and there were some debates and arguments on various places, including Facebook. Um, people were using these arguments: "Oh, your life expectancy shorter because you're all drunk and you don't eat mm. the right food, or things like that." You know, well, it's it's not that simple, mm. you know. So, to bring the two groups together—the First Nations people and the newly arrived—it doesn't matter when they arrived. I think we have to look at a different way of approaching Australia's problems in terms of how they see us, how they recognise us. And it has to be done a lot better and a lot smarter. Honestly, I think it could have been handled a lot better. Not, no disrespect to the people that went out campaigning, of course, but also we've got a constitution that relies on the people in the country having to vote for us to, for us to get mm. recognised. And that's a really that's a horrible situation to be in. We're reliant on the the majority of people to vote for us. Ninety seven percent of the population aren't us.
0: Mm.
4: Uh, and when people say, oh, I heard an Aboriginal, I remember my uh, 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 in law of mine um, said, Oh, there was an Aboriginal woman on TV, and she said, when she got taken away off her family, it was the best thing that ever happened. Mm. And he was a strong union member. And I said, well, I've had people on there saying we don't need unions. Does that mean we don't need unions? (laughs) And he sort of said, oh, but I had to point (laughs) that out to him. Yeah, yeah. But I think they get great comfort in hearing that government's doing things that Aborigines might think are okay. Um, I don't know what it is, but the facts seem to surprise and startle people and they're not comfortable.
1: Yeah, and you get this disproportionate weighting then that's put onto that one anecdote yeah. that, that seems to confirm my view of the world, right? So you, that, that example you, you quoted there or um, lots of the um, news stories that we mm. saw, broadcast stories in particular, through the campaign, you would hear Aboriginal people in remote communities or in, in regional communities interviewed saying, oh, I don't think we need the voice, you know. Yeah, and, well, you, and, yeah. and it did give this impression if you were just doing the, you know, because they were doing this kind mm. of 50%, 50-50, mm. yes, no reporting all the yeah, time. Yeah. It gave the impression that that was also reflected mm. in the Indigenous population. And if it was, then why would we, White Australia be supporting it if they're not even mm. fully behind it yeah, themselves. Yeah, kind really
2: of yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, there's all these amazing arguments that you hear, but when you hear someone refer to us as the Aborigines, then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's even my father's non-Indigenous and his family, they grappled with my father marrying my mother and they still grapple till today. And I have first cousins who are non-Indigenous people and my cousin said to me, well you know you're really lucky that it wasn't the French or the Spanish that colonized. I think well. Oh, you know. So Okay. Or I took my dad to see his sister and she said, "Oh, I hear you got letters after your name," which is, mm. means I graduated from mm. university. Mm. But I didn't sort of say I'd graduated a few times, but <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I have." And I, I sort of remembered why my mother stayed home. My mother just couldn't cope. Mm. Mm. I took Dad because he couldn't drive, yeah. and she said, you know why you're smart, don't you? And I said, no, she said, because you're half white. Mm. Oh, wow. And I thought, okay, and I said, you know, I could say that I'm smart because I'm half black. Mm-hmm. And she went, oh, like I was cheeky or yeah, out of line, yeah. and my Dad just started to laugh mm. because he knew that would be the response. But it was him that taught me to fight like that, not my mother. My mother was scared that we Mm. would be taken and things like that. So Mm. he was the one that challenged. So it's an interesting, it's been all of my life that you have these little lame excuses as to Mm. why people decided Mm. to vote. No, they would say, well, no, I'm racist. I don't like Aborigines. Or Mm. the woman when I moved into a house, she said, I'm not racist. I just hate filth and all Aborigines Mm. are filthy. So I thought, okay, okay. That's nice. Mm. And then she yeah. realised she came over to my house and said, We're selling our house, but I thought I'd bring the potential buyers through. They can see that your house is really clean and that you're, you're good neighbours. Mm. And I, she still to this day doesn't understand why I sort of hold her. Mm. So I think Australia in general is really misin- seriously misinformed. And I can honestly say, as an Aboriginal person, If you move into a house, I really don't think other than in Canberra that someone would say, oh, there's a person living next door who belongs to the planet's oldest living culture. Isn't Mm. that wonderful? Mm. Yeah. Mm. It would only happen in Canberra. Yes. It Mm. would not happen anywhere else or it would be less likely to Mm. happen anywhere else.
1: Yes. And this jurisdiction did vote, Mm. the one Mm. we're sitting in, did vote pretty much a mirror image of of the nation which Mm. is, Kind of interesting. And I suppose that drives us to a question about, you know, sort of the obvious one is geography, but perhaps the more important one is education. Yeah. So yeah.
2: the Canberra electorates, there's a little bit of variation within Canberra, but if you look at the kind of electorate level, it wasn't just Canberra which had kind of overwhelming uh, majority, but those electorates or areas which did have vote overwhelmingly yes tended to be those with a high proportion of people who completed 12 yes or or had a degree or, or a postgraduate degree so one of the the big differences both in our survey data so looking at individuals or when we look at the the area level data it is education which is driving the difference, uh, and it's and it's not because people with higher levels of education are, are wealthier or not. Uh, you you leave that aside, and there's still differences. Uh, it's not because people with higher education are younger. Leave that aside. There's still differences. There's something. Different in the in the views of those specifically related to, to education, which kind of drives quite different views on on a range of social attitudes and 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 political uh, questions, but the voice far more than, than than I've seen in any other kind of election campaign.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know that reflects the the discussion we had last time around how education is related to certain socialization mm-hmm. processes and the types of exposure that you kind of get through. Critical uh, inquiry in general and on this subject, in in particular, yep. uh, right? And I mean, I think it's actually really interesting because I was about to ask you, Nick, about the the generational yep. differences. And I suppose it's interesting that the education variable holds, even yep. despite that. But but was was the generational differences like statistically important? Which kind of reflect a lot of the things Val has just articulated? Yeah,
2: no, it's certainly true that, and we don't have this. We can't get this from the electorate the, the data because there's on most electorates have a similar kind of average age, so you you don't get the same variations you do with individual level data. Uh, and certainly those in our younger age groups, so eighteen to to thirty four roughly were were multiple times more likely to vote yes uh, than older Australians. and're also um,
3: far more likely to have a degree.
2: exactly. and and but both of those kind of were operating uh, independently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's partly to do, uh, I think, with, the, um, you know, value you, you kind of talked about kind of misinformation and and certainly um, when I compare kind of my schooling experience to the schooling experience of the people who we teach at uh, university compared to the schooling experience of, of of my kids who are kind of in, in early high school. Multi differences across those cohorts and that, and then compared to to my parents or or my grandparents it would have been uh different uh, more different still so i think yeah both of those things uh, are kind of feeding into uh the amount of information people have the ability to to kind of maybe see through some of the those arguments which might not have a lot of uh, not of validity to them but i think we can't we don't shouldn't just think it's about kind of information or just think it's about kind of socialization because i think one of the other differences between someone with a degree or not is that they're they're pretty comfortable in their financial position not just at a particular point in time but uh kind of looking looking ahead into the future so someone with the same income uh, but a higher level of education is far less likely to be worried about how their financial s- situation might change into the future. So because I
1: think because their employment's more secure,
2: more secure. Uh, it might be lower at a, on average, but it's it's kind right. of it, it's more secure. It's 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 more stable. So I do think, while the voice, it, it's it's really hard to see how that would have any immediate impact on someone's financial position. But it's easy to make a case that um, for those who are financially insecure that, well, we shouldn't be focusing on this. We should be focusing on something else, the cost of living. Or alternatively, that you that the indigenous population is going to take something away from you. And and we do see that in the in the data that Yeah, well,
1: well let's come back to it in a moment. We'll take yep. a quick break and we'll come back to that that very interesting point.
0: When the wind veered, the smoke was driven backwards, revealing a most amazing scene, standing columns of fire. To Be Continued is a new podcast that explores the rich world of lost literary fiction from Australia's past.
3: It helps you to understand the way in which knowledge is kind of not something that's out there waiting to be discovered, but it's something that you create.
0: To Be Continued is brought to you by the Australian National University and is available now on your favourite podcast app.
1: Welcome back. Now, just before the break, we were talking about this idea of the attitude that many Australians might have towards Aboriginal people and this question of fairness and Mm. so forth. And, in fact, I'm quoting from your report here. um, Many Australians feel that special rights, this is from your your paper, many Australians feel that special rights for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians are unfair, with a Mm. sizable number of Australians also thinking that the reason uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander disadvantage is a lack of effort.
2: Yeah, so so as as mentioned at the start, we we asked a range of, of kind of attitudinal questions and views on uh, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander policy and and peoples, and it's it's hard, it's confronting to mm. to kind of ask and, and analyze questions which are uh, you know quite derogatory towards a um, uh, t- towards our First Nations people but having you know doing so allows us to, to really kind of draw out that, that explanation for the vote which is that uh, there are there is a, a sizable minority of people who feel that the indigenous population receives, services or, or whatever uh, which other people aren't entitled to well they were encouraged yeah. to fill that by exactly no yes. case yeah, yeah I mean
1: this idea of special rights I just found it completely bizarre all mm. the way through what special rights actually yeah, yeah. there weren't any special rights mm. it was a body it was a power set up in the Constitution to be legislated by the Parliament now you know we I know there will be people listening to this is saying get over it the Australian mm. people rejected it and it's true you can criticize mm. the model right Clearly, uh, the Yes campaign was unable to persuade Mm. enough people that the voice model worked. It wasn't clear enough and so forth. But the idea that it conferred special rights Mm. on anyone, there was no obligation for anything other than under the constitution for the parliament to legislate into creation a voice, voice, the details of which were entirely up to Mm. the parliament. And this was... Just lost.
2: Yeah, and and I think that that was a part of the reason why a not not all no voters. Uh, and and certainly when we look at the the data, the vast majority of people still say that in in their view, the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander population suffers disadvantage because mm. of past government policy. And the vast majority of people uh, think that. Um, uh or sorry the my, um, there's only a minority of people who think that uh kind of land rights or or um uh government uh, government support has gone too far but it's it's enough. Uh, yeah. it's enough that if you have kind of people who are on the margins, uh, people who who may be a little bit concerned, a little bit risk averse, that that there's enough people who feel that um, the indigenous population has things which they don't deserve, uh, and therefore they're not going to vote for something else. and I think that's a that's a without kind of countering that view and without kind of a change in their view then i think it's going to be really hard for for any policy like this to to get a majority support
1: yeah maria that that's one of the problems isn't it in these things it's almost like the apart from the incredibly high hurdle that a referendum has to get over there's also the sort of problem that the yes case has to get enough people to agree to a particular argument the no case can get people to agree for a whole bunch of different reasons, a whole clutch of different arguments. So, some people will vote no because of the special rights thing. Some people will vote no because they've heard that there's going to be a land grab. Some people will vote no because they think it won't work, or that's what they said, you know. Um,
3: and- yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, to, to to vote to vote yes, you you need to agree with every step of the proposition. Yeah, and you only need one point of exit to to vote no. And I think the, the data that, you know, the answers, some of these answers are kind of contradictory, mm. right, um, to these surveys. You know, like overwhelmingly people say they're proud of Indigenous cultures or that, that racist policies have impacted Indigenous people. But, um, you know, a lot of like nearly half or just over half think that, you know, Aboriginal people need to try harder, mm. right? And so that really reveals the disconnect mm. that, that we were talking about mm. in the first half of the show. I mean, like how, how can you sort of... It only really makes sense to say this group of people faces disadvantage but they need to try harder if you don't actually do any thinking mm. between that proposition and the idea that they need to to try harder because you know why is it the case that that these things persist right like it's it's not just because people haven't tried harder it's because there are systematic barriers and I suppose this might go to the socialization effects mm. of universities in which one tends to encounter sets of arguments that seek to explain how these kinds of phenomena arise, which might make it a lot easier for you to sort of see the purpose of our voice mechanism of any kind Mm. or a specific one that is, you know, reasonably technical actually given most people think we have a Bill of Rights even though we don't. Mm. Um, You know, like people's basic knowledge of our institutions and, and civics is is really low, and and that was a real failure on the on the part of the the government to to not really prepare uh, the country to at least move the population to a slightly more even playing field.
2: Mm. Yeah, so I think there's there are contradictions in people's views and their and their opinions. And I think it's partly because you know, as you said before, you 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 kind of have reasonably crude questions, yes, no, agree, disagree. So it's hard to to really pick up the, the nuance of people's views. But I think when you when you kind of look at all the data items together, kind of what distills in a traditional no voter is that yes government has failed in the past yes governments had racist policies but now everything's fine uh and and now everything's fine so we don't need to do anything else and and i think that's uh valid it kind of picks up some of the kind of the points you're making about things which people have said to you or said to their families it's it's a oh yeah yeah things happened but
4: yeah and it's not new yeah it's been happening it happened um when australia had to try and cut a rug with the UN. Mm. It had to do a whole lot of things because there were 600 million people decolonized in the first 15 years after World War II, so that changed the shape of the world dynamic. Mm. Australia really wanted to be part of the UN, and it really wanted UN conventions ratified. But the newly decolonised people made up the UN, and they knew exactly what was mm. happening in Australia. So Australia was forced, even though it probably didn't want to, it was forced to address that. And it had to change its constitution. Mm. It had to remove, before um, the conventions would be ratified by the UN, the UN said they, Australia had to do a few things. And one was to remove all racist legislation from its statutes. It had to introduce Racial Discrimination Act and it had to br- bring in some form of Aboriginal land rights. Mm. So you see the Commonwealth's efforts to fight with the states over that Mm -hmm. so they could get the conventions ratified and that made some radical change and the same arguments that are Mm -hmm. floating around now, why people voted no, were put forward Mm -hmm. then. And then because the removal of racist legislation, particularly in Queensland, for example, Mm -hmm. where I come from, um, resulted in some interesting outcomes and one was the Station Hands Award or the Pastoral Workers Award, which was set up specifically to provide cheap labour for pastoral pastoralists. The, once the pastoralists had to pay award wages, they just kicked everybody mm. off what was usually the pastoral lease, which was, of course, their own traditional land. Mm. These people had nowhere to go. So there was a mass influx from pastoral properties into Queensland, towns and cities for the first time in colonial history. And might we say, people didn't cope with that. Mm. And also the government reserves in Queensland, people were freed up. In 1965, Queensland government lost the ability to take any Aboriginal person and place them on a reserve indefinitely for sometimes four or five generations. Mm -hmm. And in 1971, they changed the legislation twice in six years, which was unheard of in Queensland. Aboriginal people were free to leave after 1971. So, again, there was a mass influx of Aboriginal Mm. people into Queensland towns and cities. And people were aghast. People didn't want to see that suffering. People didn't Mm. want to share their towns and cities with Aboriginal people, and even though they knew we were here first. But one thing that I found living in one of those country towns, my mother was a fantastic dressmaker and we had great clothes, my sister and I. Well, that was offensive because we mm. were uppity. Mm. We were uppity half-castes. And I remember the policeman in Hewenden described me as a half-caste, quarter-caste slash scrubber, probably because I could run fast. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> but I sat for the post office exam after high school and got a job on the telephone exchange, you know, the old-fashioned mm-hmm. switchboard. There were complaints written in that they were given Aborigine jobs over non-Aboriginal mm. women, particularly in those yeah. days. But I'd pass the exam and yeah, they yeah. didn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty mm. obvious, but that didn't stop people. And then when you look at the movement into towns like Cloncurry and places like that, even the local mayor, and, of course, they had to provide housing because these people were homeless mm. after leaving the pastoral properties. So government built houses and the Commonwealth forced the state to build houses outside of reserves for the first time in Queensland's mm-hmm. colonial history. So houses were built. They said, these Aborigines got better houses than my people. Yeah, they, got, they people. got something
2: which we don't have. Or oh, yeah. they're mm-hmm. living
4: so close mm-hmm. we can smell them from mm-hmm. here. You know, it was just unbelievable, the comments. All, all so Australia's this, grappled this, with yeah. all of this forever. Uh, it's and, not and, new. And,
1: and none of this sort of granular detail, these, these personal accounts are really powerful, but they didn't really – get discussed in the campaign. I mean, there was a real sense, mm. from even from the Yes Camp, quite early on, uh, of staying positive, of I've not I've not telling the kind of, you know, the the, the, the chequered history, the dark history of, of, of colonisation, the, the the massacres, the um, herding of people onto reservations, the, the taking of children. The, the, well, you even,
4: know, you know, Terra Nullius.
1: Yeah, Terra Nullius. I mean, Terra Nullius, you know, sort of, that kind of barely got a mention to the extent that did. It was sort of felt like it was that was that had been resolved by Marbo and Wick and and so forth. But um it, I, I I felt like in a way the Yes Camp was fighting with one hand behind its back because of that, because a lot of the logic of the voice was about addressing the sort of things you've just spoken about, was about addressing an intergenerational tale of disadvantage. Or
4: government's inability, because Gough Whitlam wanted a representative, because the Commonwealth had entered Indigenous Affairs after the 67 referendum, Mm. but it didn't know who to listen to. And he set up the first elected representative body, but they had so much to look at. They had to look at international issues, national issues, local issues. So they had to change the structure of that. Nugget Coombs did a review then they had, in, they had the NACC, then they had the NAC, then they had ATSIC. But anything government can legislate, they can take away, which yeah. is why mm. the, they wanted to change the constitution yeah, to embed it I so know, they couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. But these same arguments will go on forever. Mm, with, yeah. It's how we put a stop to that.
1: Well, can I ask you this, going to, going back to the data? I mean, it shows that um, uh, something like 40% of people who voted no Said they would have voted yes had it just been about recognition. Sorry, my voice dropped down. There. So recognition, recognition
4: as well, as
1: in, had it been to recognise the first peoples of Australia, but not putting the voice symbolic itself. Symbolic recognition, yeah, symbolic. Yeah.
4: Now, what to say? We were here first.
1: Yeah. So ways,
4: why, why would you spend money on a referendum? No, I'm not for arguing that? the point. No, no, I know I'm, I'm you're not arguing not, for
1: that point. I'm I, just saying it's interesting that the voice it, so so if we are to believe the data and I think
4: yeah, no, know, the that's, data, that's right. you yeah. know,
1: is, is robust um, notwithstanding that some people will come up with rationales mm. and the like but so you've got 40% of people who voted no saying that were it, had it not contained the creation of the voice mechanism they would have voted yes. Uh, and that's supported to some extent by the mm-hmm. other data about yep. the levels of pride in yeah, Indigenous yeah. culture and yeah. and some so of the things. So, what
4: do you think it was about the voice that they
1: w- that it, that the voice was able to be depicted as a special right, as I was saying before, that it was able to be depicted as a um, a, a body that um, gave them access to de- Aboriginal people access to decision making and leverage in the process that ordinary folk didn't have. Um, that it was going to be a gravy train for inner urban Aboriginal elites. I mean, there were no. a whole range of tropes that were sort mm-hmm. of argued here.
4: It's a bit like yeah, ab study and free cars and concepts or, or, like or that. Or your example yeah.
1: about housing just then. I mean, well, you know. even
4: native title. We got native title on mm-hmm. North Stradbroke Island in 2011, and they had a meeting of concerned citizens. And in the native title process, you have Respondent parties. People can become a respondent parties. The beekeepers became respondent mm. parties. Recreational fishermen become respondent parties. So they get notified all the way along of what's happening in the federal court when you have your directions hearings and things. Yeah,
1: in relation to a To, a to what's claim. happening
4: with the claim, yeah. yeah, the Native Title Determination Application. So mm. we got Native Title close to Brisbane in 2011, and the state government rang us and said, we're going to have a meeting of concerned citizens. And I said, my cousin and I will come. They said, You don't need to come, Val. I said, yeah, no, we'll come. You really don't need to come, Val. I said, yeah, we'll come. I just wanted to hear Mm. what they were saying. And they were concerned about exclusive possession because that's the highest level of native title. Does that mean we can't take our dogs on the beach? Because they'd had all this rhetoric from when the Native Title Act, when the Mabo decision was handed down. Yeah. and I, I, I couldn't understand that and oh, I don't want people who use Thunderboxes living next door. There was these really crazy ideas and I I think if I ruled the world, we'd go back and talk to those people again and say, well, what changed in your mm. life since Kwandamuka got native toll in 2011? And most of them will say, well, nothing except now we're safer from bushfires because local people do the township fire mm. management or something. Mm. But... The misinformation and the racism was astounding. It was, it was really quite hilarious when you go back and think about the excuses they used about why they were concerned about Native toll. So I think Australia grapples with everything to do with First Nations people, not just the voice. They grapple with everything that mm. happens along the way.
3: I think that's reflected in the campaign because so many of the like ideas you just articulated were wrapped up into this concept of the voice. I mean if we actually held a national pop quiz and people actually had to submit in writing what they thought the voice was, I'd love for that to be done because I actually wonder how many responses would match the
4: actual question, mm-hmm. right, and the actual mechanism mm-hmm. that is under deliberation. Well, reconciliation Australia's barometers that they run.
2: Sort mm, they're of show. trying to ask that, yeah, yeah, and then I think um they will be kind of doing follow up questions. So I think the, the but the the, the few th- examples you gave with, with native title and and also some of the rhetoric around the voice is, is about kind of losing something. Uh yes. So uh, the difference with just straight symbolic recognition is you don't lose anything. Like you, there's. There's nothing like, oh sure, you can have recognition as long as as long as I still get to have whatever I have. But the the argument that the voice will lead to someone losing something is is far harder to to counter than the argument that you know symbolic recognition doesn't matter. So. Um, we kind of see that in the data, which is that people who, who thought that there was a going to be a cost to them were far more likely to vote no. And, and I think that's, that was one of the challenges of, of the Yes campaign, is, is to say that it will have an effect. But, but but that, that, that it won't be.
1: Th- this is what we see in all politics, really. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we saw we saw yeah. in the twenty nineteen election with uh, you know yeah, yeah. the the asset uh, attempts Death to tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, asset taxes generally um, uh, that uh, it was, you know you were able to convince a whole bunch of people they were about to lose mm. something. And, you know, I remember Albanese was approached at one stage as, uh, when he was you know he was in opposition at the time and this woman explained to him why she couldn't vote for Labor anymore because of the um, franking credits. And mm. when he quizzed her about it, went through several questions and established that she was a pensioner and had no, uh, she had no shares. She was, had no shares. She wasn't going to be paying any frank. But, but to her that had been the motivation mm. for yeah. um, for deciding to switch her vote Mm. even though she'd been a lifelong Labor voter. And so that was someone who was, in a sense, frightened across to the across the divide into the other camp. And there was probably a fair bit of that uh, that went on. Can I ask, uh, I'm not sure who, who wants to answer this, but I guess what this raises, though, about this question between symbolic recognition and material recognition, which was mm. really the argument for the voice, w- was there any merit in asking that as two simultaneous questions? In other words, not just one question on the ballot but two. Mm. Would would the question of symbolic recognition, I mean the the data suggests symbolic recognition would have got up and the voice Mm. would not have got up. Would that have been an advance, vowel had that occurred?
4: Look, I don't think so. I think I go back a little bit because I'm a historian, I can't help myself, Mm. but um, I wonder if we hadn't had our convict origins where government does everything rather than a free settlement. And we were one of the few colonies that were established where the missionaries didn't come first. We, we were convicts, they had convicts. Mm. So everyone expects that government's going to do everything and we still always believe that, government's got to fix this, government's got to do this, government should be doing this, government shouldn't be doing that. There seems to be a strong reliance on what government's doing and what they shouldn't be doing because you see everywhere well, we shouldn't be giving overseas aid, we should be looking after people in the countries. It's not really an either or. Mm. So I wonder whether that, whether that has set in stone our relationship between First Nations people and Australians because of those origins. Mm. Because there's been arguments all the way along about what to do with us. And yeah, how so, to deal with us? I suppose
1: I was what I was getting at, though, really was, it was a different we, we, question. We, well, yeah, I, what, I'm, what I was probing really was the possibility um, of whether an incremental advance, albeit that some people criticise it as entirely mm. symbolic, but an incremental advance as distinct from a complete repudiation, which is what we saw in this vote. So. So it gets up in the Constitution as, as recognising the 65,000-plus-year the uh, occupancy of this land. But what would that do? Well, I, it's, a, it's a legitimate question to ask, I agree, uh, and that was why Aboriginal people didn't But I Aboriginal thought the voice was about
4: Aboriginal people having influence over policies that affect their lives. It was. But the so Australian how people... would that recognition give you mm. influence over what government does in terms of policy, to yeah, well, that's our that's lives. a
1: that's a completely legitimate question. I'm not arguing the well, point. Well, that would no. have been
4: a waste of money, mm. I would think, because what would that the, the, the reason for the voice was that so Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people can have real influence over the policies that affect their day to day lives. Mm, yeah, it wasn't about asking white people whether they're going to recognise us, let alone like us. Um, so I think. That, that would have probably not served any purpose. Yeah, and point. I
2: think, the, but there's also a, even more than not serving a purpose. There's a there's a risk. I think this is probably why the, the part of the decision is that, well, we've ticked that off. Yeah. We've done that. Yes, uh, and therefore, and it, so it's got no
1: momentum in it. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. I
2: think there's a there. There would have been. A risk of of having kind of recognition only, and then and then if you do, then come back to say, well, let's let's legislate a voice, or let's let's have a, a follow up referendum where with a with a voice which is going to have more than something symbolic. Then there's a risk of people saying, well, haven't we already done that? Yeah, you've, sort we of given, you've given away yeah, yeah, the kind yeah, yeah. of uh,
1: yeah, leverage yeah. on the on the question. I yeah. mean,
3: if we actually think about the the the, the rhetoric of the leading no campaign right? right like originally it started out as the problem is putting it in the constitution but having a voice mechanism is a good idea we should legislate yes, it right yes. that was the argument primarily of the of the coalition before the middle of the year but that Kind of morphed pretty quickly, actually, into we don't need any of this and, and recognition, symbolic recognition. You know, um, if that was just the question, we'd do it today. Um, and, and I think therein kind of lies the the answer. Mm. You can you can kind of justify why you've voted no, um, following cues mm. of your yes. you know political elites by saying, well, we could just do recognition, and that would have been the smart or the wise the wise thing to do. But you know. I think one of the things that, that, that most irritates me about this example is particularly, I suppose, from people who might strongly identify um, with the coalition and who might claim to have followed the debate very closely, is that it, it's actually that government that put in all of this infrastructure to build this proposal, right? Like they're the yeah. ones, it was the, it's literally their proposal. And so, you know, and, and Dutton, I think, really exemplified this when he sort of said, well, where's the detail? You know, none of this work has been done. I haven't <laughs> seen it. Like he's literally in the cabinet. Yes, that that was responsible for developing those, the, those models. Yes, yeah, and it's true to say that the the Albanese government didn't exactly follow the precise roadmap that was developed by the then previous coalition. Um, and you know, it's fair enough to say that Dutton might not have agreed with it. But the idea that he really was in ignorance—that's that's interesting. He either really didn't know and wasn't listening and paying attention. Um, well, he didn't care.
1: Yeah, and and his key argument, is, which is where we really started with this, about it being divisive, I mean... You know, you just had to compare the 67 referendum and this one and say, well, what's the key difference? The key difference is bipartisanship. Mm. You could have easily argued that uh, the 67 referendum was divisive if you wanted to, but by simply having the parties divide on it and campaign vociferously against it and exaggerate what it Mm. might do, to the fabric of society or whatever it might have been, but that wasn't the decision at the time. A conservative government, a a, a Labor opposition that were as one on it, The the question went through. So Uh, why does the
4: Conservative government always have to be like, because look at what the Conservative government did in relation to the native Thai I mean, even the Attorney General at the time put out information that was totally wrong. mm -hmm. You won't be allowed on the beach and things like that. And Johnny Howard brought in the 1998 Act amendments that weakened everybody's rights. Yeah, there was a lot of fulminating, wasn't there? I don't understand racism, but I think that's what we're dealing with here. And I think we really know now that Australia's a pretty racist country. We can dissect it and do whatever we like. But historically and currently, we are a racist nation. Mm, And And how do we fix that? Mm. Reconciliation. The people that follow reconciliation are the tried and tested anyway. Mm. But if you talk about Canberra and other areas where well, it's a little bit less, is, is what's the solution? But the solution has to come from non-Aboriginal people. They have to fix this. Mm. Not us. They have to mm. fix it. Yeah. And I don't know how. What do I tell my grandkids?
1: No, it's a very uh, very good point. I don't have the answer to that. Well, um, we
4: have to do the work, mm, Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's Non-Aboriginal yeah. people have to fix the, their own problems here in this country. And I don't know what leaders you need, but I saw... Paul Keating punching above his weight with the Native Title Act and on talkback mm. radio and saying, look, I'm hanging up, you're just a redneck, you know, sort mm. of thing. And he, he had good good words to mm. say, but Colourful. he didn't get yeah. re-elected and he wouldn't have gotten yeah. re-elected because of he was brave enough to do various things, you know, various inquiries, a Royal Commission and various things that happened. In So when somebody does address racism or has a go, they certainly aren't popular.
1: Well, look, we're going to have to uh, run out of time, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. But I suppose one of those messages that comes out of that, just to answer your rhetorical question, feel free to buy in quickly if you want to as well, but um, perhaps it needs a conservative government to lead that argument, you know, like as in a moderate conservative leader who can then draw a um, you know the Labor Party along and the Greens and so forth because this process this referendum we can look back on it and see that it was doomed at the moment mm. that it didn't have that bipartisan support mm.
3: well i guess i think about some of the campaigning that people like julian lisa did from the conservative Quite right. side of politics um, you yeah, know there would have been plenty of people yeah. dissatisfied with those sets of arguments um but you know it is possible that it could have drawn in more buy-in. I mean, I think what is interesting is Nick's data shows that people from who speak another language other than English at home actually have much higher rates of support for the the voice yeah. throughout throughout the panel data mm. than English speaking people. And you,
1: and you, to be fair, you predicted that. Uh, I remember you saying that on this podcast a number of times, just from your own experience, uh, you know, in in the migrant community.
3: Yeah, and I, I imagine it would be conditioned by age again and education yeah. but um i thought that was that was interesting and um i think the data sort of shows there are like there are sort of seeds of hope here but mm it's 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 not a quick fix, is it?
1: No, because politics lets down those seeds of hope, partisan politics mm. and the and the temptations of populism and so forth, and we've seen that. Um, we're going to have to wrap up now, unfortunately, but look, thanks for, uh, for what's been a really really interesting and rich discussion uh, and thank you, Nick, for um, breaking this news on on democracy sausage, mm. which of course um, people will um, be able to find more detailed, uh, yep. a- have more detailed access to in a variety of ways uh, once they've uh, stopped listening to this. So that's it for us today. Thank you very much to Nick Biddle and to Valerie Coombs. To you, Maria. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. That's it for Democracy Sausage for this week. Talk to you again next week.